Thanks for listening to the weekly Overflow Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Jesse Cup. For more information, visit overflowindy.com or visit us on Facebook at Overflow Indy. I'm going to see if I can perform a preaching miracle today. I've told you that before, and the miracle never showed up. So <laughs> I finished a series about just our vision and calling that God's prom- the promises God gave us for Overflow Church here in Indiana. Um, we finished that last Sunday, and today I felt like the Lord wanted me to um, focus on something different, even though we're, we're going to keep pressing into the promises of the Lord but uh, I felt like, I think that the message I'm going to give you guys, it could probably be given multiple different type, titles, but just to keep it re- religiously accurate and, and okay, um, I'm going to call it why we needed Jesus, or why we needed Christmas. You know, we, we stepped into Christmas season, so it has to have a Christmas title, I think, right? Isn't that the, the rules in churches? I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. Why we need a why we need a Christmas, but really, what what I also could call it though is is um, original design restored. Okay, that's that's probably what it should be called. But um, anyway, today I'm I'm not going to be preaching to you the same way as I have been. It's going to probably be a little more of a teaching. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release things on us, but I, I feel that today the focus is really establishing some theological understanding of why Jesus came and just some kingdom perspectives. Um, <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to actually be spending a lot of time in Genesis, and so if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, that's where we're going to be starting. Um, I'm going to kind of do a bullet point overview of God's original design, okay? And we're going to talk about how important that is to know that. <clears throat> so if you turn your Bibles, Genesis 1, I'm going to break some things apart here for us. So I'm going to start with verse 1. In the beginning, everybody say, in the beginning. In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. God the and the earth. Awesome. Now, now you can just listen until you're ready to shout at me amens and stuff. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We sang a song about that today. Amen? All right, I, wanna, I just want to spend a, a moment here on, chat, on verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Have you guys ever noticed that it doesn't say God created heaven and earth, but it says the heavens, which is plural, right? The heavens and the earth. And there might be multiple reasons why it could be called heavens, plural. But I want to say this, that there are three heavens that we're aware of. Okay, there's, there's the first heaven, there's the second heaven, and there's the third heaven. Okay, God created the heavens and the earth in the very beginning. So the first heaven would be what we look at on this earth as the sky and the, and the stars and everything that, that we look up and we see in the atmosphere around us clouds, the stars, the planets, the universe, all that, okay? That's first heaven. It's the natural realm that surrounds the earth. The second heaven, it would be the spirit realm that surrounds us, okay? There's a spirit realm that we can't see with the natural eye, and in that, in that heaven realm is where the principalities and the powers are, okay, of the air, and that's where angels come to and from heaven through, okay? That's where the demons are and all that stuff. So that's the second heaven realm. And then there's the third heaven realm, which is the paradise of God. That's where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, amen? So, so in the beginning, when God created the earth, he had also created the heavens. So first heaven, second heaven, third heaven, all right? Does that make sense? <clears throat> also, I want to point out that the chapter one of Genesis talks about the first six days, which is when God created all of this earth and everything in it. And, but verses 1 and 2 is not on the timeline starting at day 1. So, that, so when he created the heavens and the earth, that was actually previous to the first day of creation. All right? So we've we got to understand that the, the chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, was prior to the first week of creation. 
Okay, because we tend to think that when he created the earth and, and said, let there be light, that was the beginning. They're actually, the beginning was established prior to that day. Does that make sense? So we, we actually have no clue if when he created the heavens and the earth, if that was like right before the first day when he said, let there be light, if it was like immediately before, or was there eons of time? There could have been a hundred years a thousand years, a million, billion, who knows how many years between when God created the heavens and the earth and the first day on earth, right? We have no idea because the Bible doesn't actually say. So between verse 2 and verse 3, when, it, when the first day happened, God said, let there be light. We have no idea the time span between that point and that point. There could have been a lot of stuff that happened in there. And, and I believe, and I think a lot of people do, that the, the angels and the demons, and even the fall of Satan from heaven, probably actually happened before verse 3 even hit. Okay? More than likely, the, the whole thing that happened in heaven, where Satan was, used to be called Lucifer, and he, was, he had charge of a third of the angels, and then there's Michael and probably Gabriel, the archangels. I, I'm assuming that's how God established that. But, but Lucifer actually used to be a, a godly angel who worshipped the Lord, and he was the worship leader, right? The Bible teaches us that in Isaiah. And so, but, but then pride came in his heart and he wanted to start receiving worship like Jesus. And he, and he got jealous because he wasn't getting worship. So he started re rebelling in his heart and God had to kick him out of heaven. And so I believe all that stuff happened before verse 3 even got here. So there's a lot that's happened between verse 1 and verse 3. Does that make sense to you? All right. Um, on verse 2, after it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. All right, so the, before God created the earth as we know it, the globe, it was just this ball of who knows what, just water, and probably the, there's probably earth and stuff underneath water, but it's covered in water, and it says it was in chaos, all right? It was in chaos. But it says the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. I, I love this part. The word Spirit of God in the Hebrew is Ruach Elohim. Doesn't that sound powerful? Everybody say Holy Spirit. Holy Everybody say Ruach. Ruach. Say it like this. Ruach. Ruach. Sounds like you're getting ready to spit. Ruach. Ruach. Elohim. Say, Ruach Elohim. That, that's, that's Hebrew for the Spirit of God. Isn't that it's powerful? All right, I want you to envision the Ruach Elohim. All right, Elohim, by the way, is Hebrew for God. And it's not just God. It's, it's the supreme God, but it's in plural form. Okay, it's plural. It's not singular. Plural form. And that's how we can know that the Trinity was mentioned from the very beginning. In the beginning, Elohim, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So when it says in verse 2 that Ruach Elohim, it's the Spirit of God, hovered over the face of the deep, that was the Holy Spirit part of the Trinity, hovering. I want you to imagine how huge this earth is. And it covered in waters, and then the Holy Spirit hovering over the entirety of this earth. Whew. Ruach means the spirit. It also means wind, and it means breath. So the Holy Spirit is the literal breath of God. He's the wind of God, and guess what? Wind does not stay still. It's moving, and it's working. Amen? So the Holy Spirit was hovering over this entire globe. Could you imagine if the Lord would put you out there on a little boat in the water before any human existed, so you'd be kind of special, right? But you look up, and, and the Holy Spirit surrounds you on every side, hovering. Wouldn't that be powerful? And it's wind swarming this place. Come on. The, the word hover... It is the Hebrew rakaf, rakaf, and it means to hover. <laughs> Isn't that cool? 
Ruach Elohim, Rakaf, he hovers. But it's deeper than just hover. I love this word because it means to flutter. What flutters? Doves flutter, right? What it means to move. It means to shake. It means to tremble. It means to brood, incubate, brood. Everybody say brood. brood. Everybody say rakaf, rakaf. Hover. hover, brood, brood. Incubate. incubate. What 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 broods and incubates? Okay, birds over eggs, right? That they're incubating something that already has life in it that has not manifested outwardly yet, right? You got an egg with a bird inside of it, and there's life in there that cannot be seen from the outside. So God dreamed of life, and he put life in there before anybody else could see it. So the, the Holy Spirit was hovering. He was brooding an earth that hadn't been formed yet. Okay? This happened before God even created, you know, day one through six. The Holy Spirit's brooding. All right? I want you to imagine Holy Spirit hovering over this place, knowing there's something about to happen. What, how, how does it happen? Because the Holy Spirit was incubating life before it was manifested. Come on. That's some good stuff right there. All right? Because it goes into verse 3, and it says, God, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw light, and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Everybody say, it was good. God said it was good. He saw what he made and he said it was good. But the Holy Spirit, previous to light coming forth, had been incubating something that was about to bust forth and happen. Come on. And if you can compare the, the, the Holy Spirit uh, hovering over the earth in Genesis 1 to Luke 135 when the angel said to Mary, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Everybody say overshadow. overshadow. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit hovering and brooding over something. Okay, the Holy Spirit came on Mary and overshadowed her just like he was hovering over the face of the deep. Therefore also that Holy One who, is born, who will be born will be called the Son of God. <laughs> Mary the virgin, never been with a man, and, and, but God the Father comes upon her and then the Holy Spirit comes on her and overshadows her. He broods over her. He hovers, trembling. And then brings life where there wasn't life inside her womb to bring forth the Messiah. Come on. What, what is the Holy Spirit? What can the Holy Spirit do when He broods over things? He brings life. He brings order. He brings destiny. Amen? So, God, so the Holy Spirit, He brings God-breathed destiny. Hallelujah. Why don't you guys take a moment right now and, and just close your eyes. You can open your hands kind of in that receive position and just envision the Holy Spirit as if He was over the whole face of this deep, the deep earth just, and that you get, to, you get to enter into that very brooding, okay? Just let the Holy Spirit surround you right now. He broods. He incubates. There's something that God has put in you. We've been talking about how there's the oak tree inside the acorn. There is all of creation inside this formless and void place. The Holy Spirit brought it forth. God's got promises in your life. Let the Holy Spirit brood and incubate so the Lord can call that forth. Amen? Hallelujah. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll help us all to feel you and to be and just to sense your your true presence upon us, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, I'm going to move forward. Um, I, I just read verse three where God is, God said, "Let there be light." There was light. Um, God saw that it was good, and He divided light from the darkness. Verse five. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. So evening and morning were the first day. Verse 6, then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide waters from waters. So the firmament was actually the atmosphere and, and more than likely before the flood of Noah happened, there was a, a layer of clouds or something outside the atmosphere and so he created the firmament to separate 
earth from, from space. Does that make sense? So God created the firmament, and uh, where am I at here? And let, let divide the waters. Verse 7, thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so evening and morning were the second day. I, I'm not going to read all the days, but I want to make a point to you. If you read every day that God did of creations for six days in a row, it says on each day, everything that God did that day, in the end, the Lord, it says the Lord saw it and said it was good. Amen? I was watching, um, this was years ago, probably back in the 90s, I was watching a preacher named Jesse Duplantis, who's awesome, and, and he, was, he was talking about how the Lord had him in Genesis 1, one time, and the Holy Spirit was having him take a close look at each day, and each day it says God saw it, and it was good. But the Holy Spirit said, but pay attention to day number two, because on day number two, it does not say that God saw it and that it was good. All right? That's the, that one day was different than the rest in the fact that God did not say that he looked at that firmament, the separation of the skies, and called it good. And, and Jesse asked the Holy Spirit, Lord, why? Why didn't you say that day was good? And the Lord reminded him of Ephesians 2.2, where it says that Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. He's called the prince of the power of the air. And the Lord was just kind of given him this revelation that, that everything that God created was good, but there was this one place that God had to create or to, to allow Lucifer and the fallen angels to be on this earth. And so he did not call that place good. All right? He reserved it for the other guy. He was not going to call that good. But everything else that God created, every single day, God created it for humanity he called it good. Amen? So the place he created for the devil, no bueno. <laughs> All right? But everything else, really good. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So let's keep going on with God's original design, his original plan. Um, I, I want to say this. We all know what happened with Adam and Eve. Bummer for them. Bummer for all of us, right? How many of you guys would agree with me, though, that when God sets out to do something, there ain't no thing that can come against what God planned to do? It does, you, can have the, you can have Satan and his kingdom come against it. You can have the, the greatest fall of mankind happen, and anything could come against it. There ain't nothing that's going to stop God's plan. And I think a lot of people believe that what God did with Adam and Eve is gone and done, and Jesus came and gave us a different thing. But I want to say that what God did with Adam and Eve, I believe, was actually God's original plan. And Jesus came to be the second Adam to restore us back to everything that God originally planned when he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Okay? So that's what we want to focus on today. If you guys can skip down to verse 26, this is the day that he created mankind, all right? Verse 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Let me stop there. Let us. Okay, it didn't say let me. Let us. Who's us? Well, it's Elohim. It's the plural God. It's the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, God Said, Elohim said, let us make man in our image in our, and, and according to our likeness. And I'm going to stop there for a moment because I want to say this, that when God chose to make man in his image, he didn't need another pet. All right? He had created every moving creature on this earth. He didn't need another pet. What he actually intended when he created man is to have sons and daughters. Amen? He wanted sons and daughters. God came, he created all of this so that he could have a family. He wanted to have children. And so children bear the nature and the resemblance of their parents. And so God actually put his DNA into Adam and Eve. All right, they, they, and it says in Luke 3.38, it talks about the genealogy of Jesus and all his ancestors. It goes all the way back to Adam, and it actually calls Adam the Son of God. Okay? 
So when God did this, He was actually creating sons and daughters. Everybody say sons and daughters. He wasn't just creating a human race that he could dictate over. He wasn't creating a human race so that he could have a religion and that they would just, they would just worship him. He's trying to have a family so he can be a father. He's a good father, amen? So God created us in his image, and he actually created us with the full intention of us being supernatural beings. <laughs> you guys... You're heavy on your turkey today. <laughs> All right? <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. He created us to be supernatural beings. Supernatural. God, God put his DNA in us. He's made us. We, we are children of the Most High God. All right? And so let me move on. Actually, in God, they had, they, I believe, Adam and Eve was covered in God's glory. I believe he was covered in God's glory. They, they were made in perfection. They were made with eternal life. They had health, wholeness, purity, righteousness, wisdom, understanding, and power, to name a few. Being, being made in God's, in God's likeness. Amen? All right? So let me move on here. What verse was I on? 20, we're just stuck on 26. All right. Let them have dominion, everybody say dominion, dominion, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Everybody say creeping things. Creeping Come on, I know some creeps that creep on this earth, and, and their names are the devil and his demons. And he gave them power, he gave them dominion, authority over all animals and spirit, spirit beings on this earth. Okay, you guys got that? Okay, where am I at? <laughs> All right, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I've got to just stop and say that God always intended for us to keep, to retain our original genders. Okay, he created us the way he wanted us, and he never makes mistakes. All right? He never makes mistakes. He put in you who you are, and he wants us all to know our identities that he gave us, that he breathed into us and knitted us in the womb. He didn't make a mistake. He knows exactly who you're supposed to be, and he's trying to help us to live it out in full. Amen? And so I also want to say that, that when it says that God created him in his image, male and female, he created them. It actually takes the male and the female coming together in union to give the full expression of the image of God. So if we're lacking the male, we're, get, we're missing part of the expression of God's image. If we're lacking the female, we're, we're missing some of the expression of God. And he needs both to be in union together for the full expression. Does that make sense? Awesome. All right. Where am I? <laughs> okay, God, <laughs> 28. Then God blessed them. Everybody say, God blessed them. When God blesses something, it's irrevocable. Like when God blesses it, he's putting his hand on it. All right? He's not just saying, bless you. Like he's actually releasing heaven into what he's blessing. Amen? So, so being blessed by God is actually a very big deal. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the every living thing that moves on the earth. Let me, let me just break that apart a little bit. To be fruitful means that you've got to have children. Now, that's, I want to say real quick, that doesn't mean that, you know, it's okay if some people can't or they don't. That, I'm not trying to make a thing on that. But, but I'm just talking about God's heart, that God loves family, all right? God, in, God did original design to create healthy family because he's a good father. And, and good fathers love children and they want children, amen? And so God created family before he created religion, before there's earthly governments, and even before the church, 
There's family first, amen? Okay. Another thing to know about being fruitful is it's not just about bearing kids. Being fruitful means that you're, you, you're full of something that's going to outwardly express itself. So fruit is an outward manifestation of an inward reality. So when we're filled with God and we're filled with his kingdom, then, he, then he's trying to get that stuff out of us so that we're bearing outward fruit of inward realities. You're going to bear outwardly what you carry inwardly, good or bad. But God blessed them, and this was before there was anything bad, and he wanted them to fill the whole earth with fruit bearing, with children and with kingdom being expressed inside out. Hallelujah. Multiply. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Multiply means that he's looking, his vision is for exponential increase. Exponential increase. So he, he wants to grow his family. He's a good father. I can't say that enough. God, God didn't just want to create a family. He wants us to understand who we are, that, that he sees his kids as royalty. Because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when he has kids, he has princes and princesses. Amen? So he's trying to fill the earth with royalty. So he says, be multiply or multiply and fill the earth. So there's more increase. It's not just multiplying. It's going all the way. I want you to multiply until this whole globe is filled with my people, my family. So that means that they have to expand beyond the borders of the Garden of Eden. Okay, going past the borders of Eden. And so that's called kingdom expansion. Everybody say kingdom expansion. expansion. One of our core values is, is that his kingdom is advancing. Amen? So God's original plan actually was to have people who were living in his presence, carrying his presence and taking it out and expanding and, and multiplying it and filling the earth with it. He wants heaven on earth. Come on. Then he says subdue it. So that word subdue means to conquer. It means to subjugate, to overtake. Okay, Bring things under your authority and rule over it. Now there's only one right way to do that, and that's his way. Not religion, not government. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about bringing the king into this thing, right? And bringing this kingdom. It says have dominion, administer the authority of the king's domain. The word dominion is talking about the king's domain. All right? The king's domain is the kingdom. So he says have dominion. God actually meant for his people to be his delegates on this earth, to carry the authority of heaven on earth. That's what he gave Adam and Eve. I, I would say that Adam and Eve were a prince and a princess. That's, what, that's how he created humanity. So God was establishing heaven on earth. And I'm going to read um, verse 31 again. I didn't read it yet, but I quoted it. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed, everybody say, it was very good. It was very good. And, and then it says, so, then, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. We're going to skip over now to chapter 2, because I want to talk about Adam. Verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Everybody say, the breath of life. Do you guys remember the ruach? Ruach. The, the, the Holy Spirit, the, the breath of God. The wind, amen? So God actually formed Adam, created a clay statue, and then he breathed into his nostrils. So he's like face to face with this lifeless thing. <sighs> he put his spirit into that. And it woke up kind of like Frosty the Snowman, except better. Okay? <sighs> Life came into him. And it says he became a living being. I want to I point a few things out about this. God created his son out of earth 
and put his spirit in him because he needed man to be made of the, the kind of substance that this earth has so he could put authority on him to take dominion in that realm. And he put his spirit in him so that he has heaven and earth connected in one being. So God actually established for mankind, his children, to be the authority carriers on this planet. God needed someone who has his heavenly kingdom right here on this earth. And and so this is the very reason why Jesus could not redeem humanity sitting on his throne in heaven. He had to come and be born in the flesh from a virgin to come and become human, made of this substance realm, carrying the Spirit of God so that heaven and earth meet, so that He can bring all authority from heaven into the domain of humanity and earth. Because this realm needs people who can take dominion of it. Okay? And, and He had to come through a virgin because we're, we, humanity is born into sin. But Jesus coming through a virgin, through purity, where, where God is His Father, he, he was able to be given birth with no sin nature in Him. Come on. So that He could, but he could come, the, the God that He is, come into man's body and take dominion legally on this earth. All right? So God had Adam, he breathed into his nostrils. He's having a face-to-face encounter with mud. (laughs) But he breathed. Ruach. Into him. And he comes alive. Only God can do that. What happened to Adam? What what was so amazing for Adam was that the moment he came alive... The moment all his senses come in, what was he experiencing? A face-to-face encounter with Elohim, breathing ruach, spirit into him. The very first thing he ever knew was face-to-face encounter with God. And so that set the baseline for all things for Adam. That's amazing. God and man, heaven on earth. That's what God was, God's original plan ever was. Powerful stuff. Let's, let's bump to verse 8, chapter 2. Then the Lord, sorry, the, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Everybody say east. east. Okay. So wherever he created Adam, what direction was Eden? All right, so he created Adam, and then there's a garden east from where he created him, right? And then it says the Lord planted a garden east in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So he created him, and then east of him is Eden, and then he puts him in that garden, right? You guys get that map picture? That's going to be important in a minute. Out Out of the ground, the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. Everybody say, the tree of life. life. Say, yay. Yay. We all love the tree of life. That's where God gives eternal life from. Amen? So, tree of life. Where am I at? (laughs) I'm losing my spot. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everybody say, tree of knowledge of good and evil. Boo. All right? Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. I'll stop there. I, I want to say this. Eden, it's t- it, it, the name means a pleasant garden, all right? And, and so there's the tree of life in there, and it bears fruit, and that fruit gives eternal life. You eat from that tree, and you have an experience with that, okay? It gives eternal life. But then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that God said, this is the only one rule out of everything. Only one rule I'm giving you. We're not doing religion. We're not doing old covenant law. 
Oh, there's only one little thing. You got everything else. Just one little thing. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. die. All right? So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a, it bears fruit that gives knowledge of good and evil. And I want to say that word knowledge does not just simply mean that you know something. It means you're experiencing that thing. You know it by experiencing it. It comes from the word yada, which means to experientially know. All right? And then also know this. In the, in the Garden of Eden, there's a river. Okay? There's a tree of life and there's a river. Does that sound familiar to you? Tree of life and a river. I, I'm, what I'm getting ready to say, I'm going to give you guys a nugget that I've never tossed out to anybody I was teaching before. Um, and you can, you can keep it or flush it. It's, it's up to you. All right? But I like it. I want to I say this, that I believe that um, Eden actually was heaven. I, I believe it was a portal, a gateway on earth into the paradise of heaven. I personally don't believe that the paradise that's written in Revelation is a different place. I, I believe that they actually had ac- access into that realm, and it's a heaven on earth manifestation, ga- gateway into a place. You can take it or leave it. I'm not trying to force you into my belief on this, and somebody can talk me out of it, but I'm going to keep talking about it right now. All right? I want to remind you, um, when it, when, when, in verse 8, it says God planted a garden east, right? East of where he created Adam. You've got to remember that. When you go to the next chapter, in verse 23, 323, this is, this is when God is, is removing them from the garden, and he placed a cherubim there with a flame of fire, right? I want, I want to read verse 22, sorry, 23 and 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to become, sorry, to know good and evil, and now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Sorry, that was verse 22. <laughs> verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Okay? He, he removed him out of the garden of Eden and sent him back to the place where God took him from. What direction was that? West? All right, he, he created Adam. He put the garden east, right? So now, now he's in the garden east of where he was created from. But this verse says that God re, that he, he actually removed him from the Eden and put him back where he's taken from, right? What direction does he need to go? West. So he's back over here on the west side of Eden. Okay, you follow me so far? Now let's look at verse 24. So God drove out the man and he placed a cherubim at the what side of the garden? The east side of the garden. And a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. If God created Adam here, then he put him over here in the garden. And then he put an angel to protect the garden from Adam ever getting back in. He put the angel over here, but Adam's over there. Why would he put a guard here if Adam is over there, if he's trying to keep him out of this place? No, but I'm saying why would he put him on the east side instead of the west side that's between him and the garden? Do you guys see the dilemma here that I'm looking at? Or am I way over your heads? If I'm over your heads, you let me know, and that's totally cool. All right. <laughs> All right. Here's, here's, the, here's the ground that God created Adam. Garden of Eden over here on the east. He got to keep him out of here, so he puts him back over here. Eden is over there, but he, go, he puts a guard on this side to keep that dude out of this place. Why would he put a guard here? Instead of here. Do you guys see the dilemma? This is what I believe. I believe 
that there's a, that there's a gateway, a portal. <laughs> okay? I'm not joking. I really believe. And I could be wrong. I'm not trying to create a theology for you, but, but it just doesn't line up. All right? Except to me that there's some kind of access way maybe that God created and he had to block him from it because it seems to me that he would have put the guard here if it was a physical place on this earth. Do you guys see, you, you catching what I'm saying? When you, when you read in Revelation in 22, 1 through 3, it says, it says he showed me a river of water of life, okay, clear as crystal coming forth from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of a street on each, either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Everybody say, tree of life. Tree of life. Everybody say, river. river. You saw the river? Everybody say, healing for the nations. Healing for the nations. Wow. This is the paradise. Okay, this is paradise. Verse 3, it says, There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. So you got the river, you got the tree of life, you got healing, you got eternal life. You guys tracking with me? All right. Revelation 2, verse 7. This is one of the letter to the church of Ephesus. Jesus said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What? He's given us access to the tree of life in paradise. I don't think that he was talking about when you die and go to heaven. I think he's talking about if you live the way that God, that Jesus told us how to live in Christ, there's access to the tree of life where there's healing. You guys tracking? So if you put this picture and, and you think about what Adam and Eve had, access to the tree of life in Eden, the word paradise actually can be interpreted Eden. There's actually a literal definition of paradise that says Eden on it. So I think, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. I, I, I believe that Adam and Eve actually had this pre-fall life that God always intended to give them access to the realm that we can't get to in our own flesh. When God put an angel there, I, I believe that God was actually saying, if anybody's functioning from this fallen world, I'm not going to let you come into this place. But Jesus is saying, if you overcome, okay, how do we overcome? By the blood of the Lamb, right? And the word of our testimony. And, and if, we, if we overcome, that we actually get access to that realm that you can't get to by looking for it on this earth. <laughs> I, I, I'm afraid that these thoughts are abstract and crazy to some people, but I believe that it's God's original design with Adam and Eve to access heaven. How, how, how can I say that? Because we know that Jesus came to restore all things, right? And, and we know that in Christ, we're seated in the heavenly places, Okay? So if, if, the, if what we have in Christ is a restoration of what God originally created, I believe that they, too, had access to a realm that fallen humans don't understand. Encountering God. I'm sorry if this is over your heads or if it's too out there. I'm not trying to be. But I, but I can give you an example in Genesis 28 when Jacob, his eyes became opened to a ladder that stretched from earth to heaven, and it was open heavens, realities, and the angels were coming up and down. And Father, God, Elohim, was above it, looking down, declaring destiny upon him. And I believe that God's given us pictures where, where the Lord was trying to open up heaven to us in ways 
that you can't get to in your own flesh. Does that make sense? All right. Anyway, why would I say all that? More than likely, you're going to have to wait till next week to find out because I'm seeing how time's going. This is how all my sermons <laughs> seem to be going in this season. All right, verse or chapter 2. Man, this is definitely a part one. All right, I'll, I'll try to Christmas it up next week somehow. <laughs> chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. I already read that. I'm way past that. I'm, I'm messing myself here in my notes. Sorry. All right. No, I, I actually did want to go back to verse 15 through 17 because that's when God told them you can eat of the tree of life, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And so he, told them, he gave them all authority and freedom in the garden to tend it, which is really another way of saying administrate kingdom in this domain okay and so he's given them authority to administrate kingdom and there's only one rule it should have been easy but it wasn't the, tar- the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and as, as I said everything that God created God looked at it and he saw that it was good right so God actually created his children surrounded by good things only and so the the tree of knowledge of good and evil he was actually protecting them from the knowledge of of evil. They had the knowledge of all things good, but this tree was going to give them more knowledge outside of what God wanted them to have. So God actually had been protecting his children from the knowledge and the experience of evil. All right? And, it, and on the warning, he said, on the day of it, you eat of it, you shall surely die. And God knew that when they dip into the realm of evil that, that God had been protecting them from, is going to open up Pandora's box, and the gates of hell are going to flood into the realm that should have been their dominion, okay? And so God knew that it would be immediate effects, that hell would break loose on you if you do this. He He said, on that day you will surely die. And so, but before the fall, they should have had the ability to crush the serpent, Because Jesus said that you will tread on scorpions and serpents. Amen? You guys doing all right? I have too much to say right now (laughs) to keep going. Let me make a note where I'm stopping here. Oh, no, there is is one more thing I want to say before I go there because I'm trying to paint a picture for you. In Genesis 2, verse 25, it's the last verse, It's talking about Adam and Eve after he created her from his rib. It says they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Okay? I want to say this. In the kingdom of God, there is no shame. Okay? God never meant for his kids to have shame. All right? And so he also gave them purity and wholeness. They they functioned only from a place of purity and wholeness and so they even functioned from a place of sexual wholeness that was God's original design okay God created man and woman to function from the nature that they were born from and to live from it and to know each other in the context of marriage covenant and anything outside of that is violating the way that God created things. But God blessed the marriage covenant, and it even says in one place, I forgot where, it says that the marriage bed is blessed and it's undefiled. Okay? So that's a good thing. But God knew that if anybody tries to function outside of of your origins and the marriage covenant between man and woman, and they enter into sexual encounters outside of that you're actually you're actually tying yourself to the demonic realm that opens pandora's box and hell floods in so it creates bondage okay i just want to say that because but but before the fall adam and eve were perfect in every way they were perfect in every way 
And, and so here's where I want to close, I guess. This is not the way I wanted to close, but we're good. God knows. All right? I want to I bring our attentions to some pre-fall conditions that God created humanity with. Okay? Because this is why God sent Jesus was to restore us to all things that were broken. Amen? Things that Adam and Eve forfeited that they had, one, they had the Ruach, the intimate presence of the Holy Spirit. They had God-breathed destiny. They were surrounded by the goodness of God. They were sheltered from all evil. They were under God's absolute protection. They had identity of wholeness and security. So they knew, the, they knew their sonship to God. And they had confidence and no doubts in who they were. They had God's DNA, which included perfection, eternal life, health, wholeness, purity, righteousness, wisdom, understanding, power, amongst other things. They were covered in God's Shekinah glory. Come on. They had ultimate dominion. They had God's total blessing on everything. They had the ability to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth under the open heavens. They, they were the royal family of perfection and healthy relationships. They had authority, power, and ability to conquer and bring everything under their rulership. You, you guys doing all right? Yeah. little hope here. I'm, I'm about to wrap up, so... You saw the Shoney's sign up there. Okay. They had dominion. They were princes and princesses. They had delegated authority to reign in God's kingdom on the earth. Okay. They, they, they had a face-to-face -face encounter with God as their baseline reality. <laughs> they were spirit-filled flesh and body. In other words, the, the flesh that we all think is like, like evil, no. No, it actually was created by God and was intended to be a very powerful thing. And it was full of the Spirit for them. Okay? They had direct access to the third heavens, the tree of life. Okay? I believe that. They had wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. They had total provision for all things. They had shamelessness, which means they had dignity, confidence, peace with self, with others, and with God. That's pretty amazing. They had sexual purity, sexual wholeness. They walked with God in the presence of the Ruach, the Holy Ghost, the wind of God. Come on. That's amazing. That's, that's what God planned from the beginning. When God created Adam and Eve, he was thinking about you. Why, did, why do we need Christmas? Because we needed Jesus to come in flesh with the rulership of heaven to take dominion back from Satan. All right, because when Adam and Eve sinned, they yielded all authority to Satan and they became in bondage under his rulership. And he became the God of this world. Yeah. Jesus came so that he could enter in legally in humanity to take the reins of this planet back and to crush Satan. He crushed Satan and he crushed his works. So he could take it all back. He died on the cross to bring us in our brokenness into his flesh on the cross to restore all things back the way that he originally planned for it to be. Jesus is called the second Adam because he came to restore 
brokenness and to invite us to step into him through his crucifixion and his resurrection to be completely made in the image of Christ, to be, to be brought into him in Christ, in union with him, who actually is the full expression of what Adam and Eve was supposed to be. So we don't just have restoration, we've got the upgrade of Jesus Christ in it. Come on. <clears throat> so I want to tell you a secret of why I want to talk about this today. It's because I, I see people, us, others, I see, I see people suffering things that are supposed to be illegal. Okay? Illegal to the children of God. I, I, <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things that's burdening my heart more and more is even seeing sicknesses on people more than I've ever seen it. I don't like that. I know God doesn't. And, and I, I know that God never, he didn't create humanity to be sick. He created humanity to be healthy and strong. And, and brokenness, there's broken hearts, there's depression, and there's soul sickness, all these things. That didn't exist before Eve took that first bite out of whatever that fruit looked like. Okay? Brokenness came. Satan, the flood of hell, came on humanity and put humanity in slavery. And Jesus came to set the captives free. Amen? So I, I just I want to help us to understand what God's intentions were so we can understand what Jesus was restoring on the cross. All right? So I want to pray for us. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Can you guys stand with me for a moment if you're able? <clears throat> if you're not able, receive where you are. But <clears throat> I, I, I went heavy on a lot of details and <laughs> I got about halfway through. <laughs> I didn't get to the landing point I wanted to, but that's all right. Sometimes we do this stuff as a journey, right? I just want to pray for us, for the Lord to open the eyes of our spirits to original plans. <clears throat> God, I, I, know that, I know that what you started in Genesis 1-1, and from that point forward, Lord, you are setting something in motion. <clears throat> and you were not taken off guard by Eve and Adam eating from that tree. Everything you established, you, you didn't just think, man, that's a bummer. I did all this, and now it's gone to waste forever. Lord, you, you had perfect intentions, and nothing can stop you. Lord, you, you, knew, you knew then that the cross was coming. But Lord, I, I pray that you'll help us to see, like, just to see from the eyes of the Father, the Creator, everything that you intended to be in our lives and in this world, so that when we see things that don't match, we'll know something's wrong. Help us to be able to see the contrast between what is and what's supposed to be and see that it's wrong. And to know that, that there's something that needs to be done about it. And to know that you've already done something about it. Lord, help us to be, help us to grow um, uncomfortable and discontent with seeing things out of alignment with the way that you want it to be. I ask you, Lord, to show every person here right now who you know that they are. <clears throat> Lord, that you, you see the perfect plan in each person. And I pray that you'll help us to see that. Help each person more, Lord, to see even if we don't feel it, even if we're not experiencing it yet, help us to see it and help us to believe that, that you are restoring all things. Bless everybody today in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat>